So our passage today is from the book of Mark, chapter 1, verses 1 to 20, and it's on page 1424 of your church Bible. The beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet. I will send my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. After me comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. At once the Spirit sent him into, out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness forty days being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals, and angels attended him. After John was put in prison, was put in prison Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat, preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. Thanks, Claire. Let's keep your Bibles open there. So, deep existential kind of mind-blowing question for you. Who are you? You know, I mean, if we chat over morning tea after the service... Okay. If we chat over morning tea after the service, uh, will I get to know the real you? Because, I mean, we're social people, aren't we? We talk to each other, we um, observe each other, we check out what we're wearing. I think, you know, pretty suave, you know. We hear stories about what one another are doing. Sorry, I'm just going to sort this out. I'm going to drive me nuts for the whole talk. Yeah, so who are you? Um, we, um, we hear stories about one another, and usually, sort of subconsciously, we work one another out, don't we? I think, oh, I reckon I know. I reckon I know who Daniel is. When I started high school, I got a photograph there, thanks, Robert. This is uh, my class. So within a week, pretty much everyone had been labelled with a nickname. Okay, I won't tell you mine. Um, or, you know, you got a stream of abuse based on what dominant personalities thought you were. You know, like the class bullies. Let everyone know who they thought you were. But was it fair? Was it accurate? 
And who I think you are, am I getting um, the full picture? Have I got you right? You know, I did all right at school, but in sort of like the school leaving year, I strategically chose one subject. That was going to be my take it easy subject. I didn't really need it from the results. That was my relaxed time. And Mr. Davenport, he thought he had me all worked out. And he said, there's Idol, there's Bone Idol, and there's Colin Taylor. And it was right for that one lesson. The rest of the time I worked hard. And I experienced what it was like to have been worked out all wrong by someone. Well, today we're beginning to look at Jesus in Mark's Gospel and asking that question, who is Jesus? Do you know who Jesus is? Now, you probably already have an opinion, but ask yourself, what is that opinion based on? Have you got Jesus right? Have you given him a fair go to show you who he is? Now, I know most people here have no, do know Jesus and have for a long time in many cases. But I wonder, have many, any misconceptions crept in? Or maybe there are things about Jesus that you've forgotten or just never noticed before. You see, so much is said about Jesus that it's a good idea to go back to the primary source, back to the Gospels. And that's why we're spending this whole term in Mark, just living in Mark's Gospel. Because Mark has written down for us this account of Jesus so that we can have a fair go of knowing who Jesus is, being confident about why he came and how we should respond. So whether this is the first time you've read Mark, or the hundredth, or the thousandth, let's leave our preconceptions in the car park and let Mark do the talking. All right, so there's an outline there in your leaflets. Um, this time of year it always gives me that sort of first day of a new job or starting a new school feeling, so that's roughly the theme of the headings. As we begin a, a new year together and look at the the very start of Jesus' public life. So where to begin? Well, Mark doesn't beat around the bush. Um, he tells us right from the word go. He's kind, of put, he's kind of put the end of the book, the whole point of the book, on the front of the exercise book before he laminates, before he puts the contact on. So verse 1. The beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. So my friend and mentor, John Warner, who is my boss at Trinity Brighton, who some of you know, for a while he was notorious for giving away the end of movies in sermon illustrations. He used to drive us nuts. Now, I try not to do spoilers, but Mark, the gospel writer, is completely upfront about what we have in our hands and what it's all about. So straight up we're told that this is a gospel. That means it's an announcement of good and important news, an announcement of good and important news. That's what gospel means. We know it's about Jesus, a bloke, a real historic human like you or me. We're told he's the Messiah. So that's a Hebrew word, and the, the Greek version is Christ, and it means anointed one or chosen one. So more of that shortly. 
And we know he's son of God. So that's another name for God's promised one, God's promised king. So that's what Mark's gospel is. It's unpacking what it means that the man Jesus is the Messiah or Christ and the son of God and why this is good and important news. And it begins setting the scene. So have a look with me at verses 4 and 5. So John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. So this was a big deal. This was like John the Baptist would have been all over the news kind of thing. But why? Why is the world and his wife trekking out to the wilderness to some weirdo? It, it wasn't for the scenery. It wasn't for the fashion tips. And it wasn't for the local produce. It's because they were desperate for God to rescue them and make everything right. See, as we start Mark's gospel, Israel is in a desperate state. Um, they'd returned to their land from exile, but it's like um, turning up on holiday to find it's nothing like the brochure. So I've got a picture there, Robert. I think. Yeah, so the, what they were expecting, they were acutely aware that they, that they didn't have it. Things weren't how, how they're supposed to be. It was supposed to be a golden age of returning to former glories. But instead, they were occupied by Rome a pagan empire that stood against, stood for everything they were against. And worse still, as for their relationship with God, they were still spiritually, it's like they're still in exile. So there's this yawning gap between how the prophets had said their restoration to the land would be and the grim reality. How can they put this right? Who can put this right? And what about us? God made us to live with him as our loving and just ruler of our lives. But all of us get exiled from him when we make ourselves the center, when we give ourselves over to self-rule, believing in ourself, basically, instead of believing in God. And we know at heart things are not how they should be. We all have that yearning for God and the desire for everything to be made right, for justice and an end to evil. How can we put things right? Who can put things right? So that's the setting. Uh, Jesus, the good news is Jesus comes with references, that next heading. So next picture, Robert. Does anybody know who this is? It's not me. It's not me. I mean, anybody? No? Well, as you're Australian, it's understandable. This is Pep Guardiola. Pep Guardiola is considered to be the best soccer team manager in the world. All right? And it just coincidentally, he's Manchester City, my team's <laughs> manager. But City didn't just pluck him out of nowhere. City chose him because he came with great references. And if you're going to choose to follow someone's lead, you want to have some information that they're the right one to be following, don't you? 
So as a manager, Guardiola won 14 trophies in the first four years of his managing career. 14 in four years. At the point he joined City, they'd won three trophies in 122 years. Just for the context. But they're chosen because he came with great references. Choosing a school or choosing a plumber. We, you know, we look for a good reference from someone in the know, don't we? We want to have some confidence that they're the right person for the job. So it's good to know that Jesus comes with good references. See, God had promised years ago that he would send someone, an anointed one or Messiah or Christ, who would sort it all out. He would bring God's rule to on earth, bring justice, defeat evil, and make it so that anyone in the world could be in right relationship with God. That's the promise. So if that's true, how are we supposed to know um, when he's going to turn up? How are we going to recognize him? Is it like some sort of cosmic blind date? Well, God said in the Bible that there would be some signs to help us recognize him. He tells us what the calling card for this promised Messiah would be so you don't end up following the wrong bloke. And Mark lays them out for us with a couple of quotes from the Old Testament. So verses 2 and 3. I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. So that's a quote from the prophet Malachi. And then verse 3. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, making straight paths for him. That's a prophecy from Isaiah. So by quoting these here, telling, telling us, it's telling us that John the Baptist is this messenger. And that's why Mark tells us what he wore and what he ate. The Bible said this messenger would be like Elijah. And lo and behold, here's John the Baptist who looks like Elijah, um, sounds like Elijah, and eats like Elijah. So Mark's ringing loads of bells of recognition so we don't miss the point. John is the messenger who comes before the Messiah. John is the messenger who comes before the Messiah. And Mark, by equating preparing the way for the Lord, that is God, with preparing the way for Jesus, he's asking us to believe something about Jesus. See, preparing the way meant um, making something like the Champs-Élysées. I've got a picture of that, Robert. Uh, this is the, sort of the straight path. This is the idea of making a sort of a highway for the conquering king to process down victoriously. That's the kind of picture you're after. Mark's telling us to believe that Jesus is the Lord. To believe that Jesus is God. We can have confidence that Jesus is the right man. He is the promised Messiah. Because what the Bible said would happen when he turned up, did happen. So Jesus comes with references, and Jesus comes highly recommended. Highly recommended. First up, there's John's recommendation. Verse 7. After me comes one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. So John the Baptist is saying, it's not about me. 
I'm just the support act, the messenger. Uh, Jesus is the message. I'm just like the police motorbike that comes before the cyclists on the tour down under. So that's John's reference, but there's an even better reference. The ultimate recommendation, verses 10 and 11. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my son whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. So uh, just to illustrate this, when you hear a line from a song, sometimes it just one line, it sometimes brings to mind the whole song, doesn't it? Or you just um, read a a play on words, it brings together the real thing. So, Robert, I've got some slides to help illustrate this. Thanks. Think. So this is, uh, I love a good pun. So this is uh, a Tyler who's called his business Bonnie Tyler. Like this singer, Bonnie Tyler. Yeah. Next one. Jason Donovan. But this next one is my favourite. So a floor contractor called Richard call himself Lino Richie. Hello, is it me you're looking for? <laughs> so now you have that, hello, is it me you're looking for? Brings to mind the whole song. God himself sp speaks to tell us that two important songs from the Bible are about this man, Jesus. So first of all, you are my son whom I love. That's from Psalm 2. So the, audience, the original audience for this gospel would have just known that straight off. And it's a, song, it's a song, Psalm 2, that asks the question, why does the world plot in vain to throw off God's rule and against his promised Messiah? And it's plotting in vain because God says to his Messiah, you are my son. Today I've become your father. Ask me, and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. You will break them with a rod of iron. You will dash them to pieces like pottery. So right here, at a fixed point in history, to the real human being Jesus, God says, this is about you. Psalm 2 is your song. So God wants us to believe that Jesus is the one who will rule over the whole world and judge those who rebel against God. And there's another song lyric there, God says to Jesus, with you I am well pleased. So that's from Isaiah 42, from one of what we call the servant songs. And these are songs about a servant of God who is completely faithful, the ideal Israelite yet one who would be unspectacular and ordinary looking and one who would bear our suffering and be punished by God despite being innocent. So for the first time ever, we might be used to those ideas, but here in Mark's gospel, for the first time ever, these two ideas, the king with authority over all creation and the servant who pleases God but will suffer to save us, they're brought together in Jesus, the man from Nazareth, currently standing wet in the River Jordan. 
Who is Jesus? He is God's son, the king who will rule over every single one of us. And he is the servant, the one who will go on to suffer for every one of us. So let's see if Jesus lives up to his reputation as we come to his orientation day. Excuse me. So verse 12. At once the Spirit sent him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness 40 days, being tempted by Satan. It was with the wild animals, and angels attended him. So you can read a fuller account of that in Matthew's Gospel. But immediately the Spirit sends Jesus into the wilderness. Now, for the original readers, wilderness was like a meme or a trope which would immediately bring to mind Israel's history. And whenever the Israelites had been sent by God into the wilderness before, it had not gone well. They'd always rebelled against him, worshipped idols, and failed to trust him. So that's the question. How is Jesus going to go in the wilderness? Well, he goes out there, toe-to-toe with Satan, and he faces the test we all face. Who will we serve? Who will our lives be orientated around? Satan, the one who is all about self-determination and keeping God out of the picture? Or we will be faithful to God? See, Jesus is uniquely qualified to save us because as well as being the Son of God, he's one of us, flesh and blood, really going through real difficulties, suffering and temptation, just like you and me. See, Jesus resists Satan here and for the rest of his life. And that means he can represent us as the perfect human. So I dare say, as we look at this year ahead, some of it will be a struggle. All of us will have struggles in some shape or form. And those promises we made earlier seem like a great idea here and now. Well, there's going to be times when we're tempted to give up on them, when it all seems too hard. But in those times, remember, because Jesus himself suffered when he was tempted, He is able to help those who are being tempted. Jesus knows what it's like for us. Ask him for his help. So that's Jesus' orientation days. And now Jesus begins our orientation, telling us what we're to do. Verse 14. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. The waiting's over. All of those promises you're holding out for, that hope you have that it's all going to turn out right, it's arrived. It's started now. Start of a new year, start of a new term. We have good intentions, don't we? You know, I'm not going to leave it all to the last minute this time. I reckon I've heard you say that, Daniel. Is that right? 
I'm not going to leave it to the last minute. Now I've got my planner, and I've got post-it notes, and I've got a diary. I'm going to map it all out. It's going to be a carefully staged process. And then life happens, doesn't it? And you end up cramming it all at the last minute. But sure enough, with a deadline to aim for, you make it, if only just. Well, what's your deadline for getting serious about Jesus? What is it you're waiting for that's going to make you decide whether to follow him or not? What's your deadline for bringing yourself in from the fringes and making the kind of promises that we all made earlier? Because deadline day is up. The kingdom of God, that is God's rule over the world, God's renewing and making right and bringing justice to the world, the kingdom of God is at hand. The countdown's ended, the alarms are going off, the course of history is changing right here, right now. And why? Because Jesus is the good news of God. Jesus is the good news of God. Jesus is the promised king. So Jesus is the kingdom of God being at hand. And Jesus tells us how to respond. Repent and believe the good news. Repent and believe the good news. Repent. That means change your mind. Change it in a way that means you change what you do. You turn around and walk the other way towards the new thing you've fixed yourself on. Repent, change your mind, turn around, and believe the good news. Believe what Mark has shown us about who Jesus is and trust in him. Repent and believe. All those Bible verses that we read in our commissioning bit, they warm our hearts, don't they? But they also prick our consciences. They can tend to shine a light on where we have not repented. So can I encourage you, if something was holding you back from making those promises this morning, repent of it. Turn away from it. Confess it to God. And trust that because of that, the perfect servant Jesus, who knows how you feel, you are forgiven. Because the kingdom of God is at hand. God's rule is here, including in you. Believe in Jesus. Ask him to help you out. Notice Jesus doesn't say, here's a list of things you need to do to make the kingdom of God come near or happen. No, Jesus says, the kingdom of God is at hand in me. Jesus is telling us what has happened, not how to make it happen. Jesus is giving us good news, not good advice. So sharing that news, serving in the kingdom that's already at hand, that's what we all signed up for this morning. So to our last point, 
Jesus calls us to the best job in the world. Just as we might be thinking, oh, I wonder what repenting and believing looks like, like concretely in, in life. Well, Mark tells us about Jesus calling his first followers. And it's at breakneck speed, isn't it? It feels like, you know when you see um, old silent movies and everyone seems to be moving at double speed? That's how this bit of Mark's gospel feels. Verse 16. As Jesus walked by the Sea of Galilee, so a real place, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little further, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat, preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. This is what repenting and believing looks like for these first disciples. Three things to notice here about this, these calls. First, they left at once. They didn't hang about. Now, we never want to manipulate or pressure anyone at this church. We want to tell you what God would have you know from the Bible. But we can't pretend that this is not urgent news. Because urgent is how the Gospels present it. None of us know how long we've got. So the call is, follow Jesus at once. Follow Jesus without delay. So first, they left at once. Second, there was a significant cost to them following Jesus. So Simon and Andrew, verse 18, leave their nets, their very livelihoods behind. James and John leave their dad and all the workers behind as well. Following Jesus, repenting and believing in him is going to cost you. You can't put Jesus in the driving seat and expect everything to stay the same. I'm really thankful to God for you making the promises you did today because it, it represents you repenting and believing, following Jesus. And I know there's a real cost involved in time, in relationships, in money. You know, you might lose friends keeping those promises you made today. You'll definitely lose some free time. You repenting and believing might stall your career. It might make things difficult with your family. Following Jesus is costly, but it's the best job in the world. The third thing I need to point out, the best job in the world. Verse 17 Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. That's what we're doing here. We are partnering with Jesus in sharing the good news about him to call people to enter God's kingdom by trusting in Jesus and helping one another grow in him. So when Paul and Ethan help set up every week, they've set up a space where we can comfortably hear and worship God. When our kids' church leaders spend hours getting crafts and activities ready, they help them provide a firm foundation in Christ for our children. 
when our growth group leaders persevere in preparing for the Bible study, even though they're tired from work and they've got a hundred things to do, they're helping make sure our groups remain rooted and built up in Christ. When the person on doing the slides um, patiently endures us all staring at them and one of the slides is wrong, well, they deserve a medal, don't they? Those are just examples and there are hundreds more around this church. All of this is costly, but so worthwhile because it's of eternal significance. As we help one another and the world to repent and believe in Jesus. So who is Jesus? He is Jesus of Nazareth, a real human being who knows firsthand how hard all of this is and is able to help us. A real man who resisted Satan and pleased God perfectly so he can be our perfect representative. He's a real man. He's the son of God, the one who has all authority over all creation. And he's the servant who pleases God perfectly but suffers the punishment we deserve in our place. Who is Jesus? He is the good news of God. God's rule coming into the world in, new, in a new history-changing way. And how do we respond to who Jesus is? Repent. Change your mind and direction and believe in him. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for Mark's gospel. Thank you that it shows us clearly who Jesus is so we can have confidence that he is your chosen one, the Messiah, the Son of God, real man we can put our trust and faith in. As we look ahead to this year, please help us to keep repenting and believing and to join in his mission of fishing for people bringing people into his kingdom. Amen.